0: Welcome show 34 on Crypto Voices, Matthew Majinskis, your host here from Latvia, joined by my co-host Fernando Ulrich from Brazil.
1: Hello, Matthew.
0: And today we're going to introduce our guest, Gilvanas Shalanis. Gilvanas is the president of the Lithuanian Free Market Institute, a position that he has served in since 2011. His fields of expertise encompass competition policies, energy and transport. Jovenis has been a member of many working groups in the Lithuanian government responsible for both sunsetting unnecessary government agencies and cutting red tape for business, as well as lecturing on economics in local universities. Thanks a lot for joining us and welcome to Crypto Voices.
2: Well, good to be here, Matthew.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. So I want to I settle something first because it's quite interesting. I saw a uh, Facebook post uh, recently that you were like the most influential Lithuanian Facebooker in 2017, and I mentioned this to our mutual friend Eddie in uh, in Lithuania, and he's like, he's like, hold on, hold on, Monica, Shalchute and all these other models, they got to be like the most popular Lithuanian Facebookers. <laughs> I don't really follow the stats. Can you please explain to me what was your most influential Facebook ranking and how many eyeballs are looking at the work that you're doing in the Free Market Institute?
2: It's not the Facebook ranking, it's the media ranking so for the first half of 2017 i'm the most quoted opinion leader in lithuanian traditional media Uh, that was the nomination of the thing uh, that i got Uh, this means uh, and this uh, calculation is done by an independent uh, agency the tns agency and according to them apparently uh, during the first half of uh, 2017 I've reached uh, an audience of an estimated audience of 37 million people. So considering we have less than three million people in Lithuania, that's something like each Lithuanian on average is hearing me about 10 times per year. So it's not Facebook or it's traditional media.
0: Okay. So some of the, uh, some of these Instagram uh, posting girls and, and whatnot, they might still get a bit more views than, than your uh, opinions.
2: Uh, no doubt but that's uh, i mean we were this survey and this estimate was about traditional media
0: it's the only trick question we'll uh, we'll give you today on the show <laughs> no it's very uh, it's very good work and it's very exciting to see uh, your success and your influence <laughs> on policy and uh, free market economics in the country of Lithuania, and certainly what you say is uh, recognized and read well beyond. So I, I wanted to explore, you know, some of that for our listeners. Uh, we're certainly going to get into uh, the role of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in Lithuania today, but before we do, I think it's just interesting, you know, we don't, you know, Fernando's in Brazil, I'm in Latvia, you're in Lithuania. We have, you know, we have some, we have some different perspectives than maybe uh, the typical U.S. listener might might hear. So I guess just to kick us off. Can you explain uh, a bit about what you do as the president of the Free Market Institute? You know what is your organization about? What are your goals? What are you trying to do?
2: Well, we are a think tank. Uh, we're a private nonprofit think tank, and our goal is uh, spread of liberty and implementing uh, liberal policies in well in our country. Now, for those of you who are listening in United States, you might very well be aware of that. Liberal means. Well, liberal in Europe means different what what it means in United States. Mm-hmm. So we are like we are like the the, you know, the good Republicans, or on the, we're definitely on the right of the socio-political spectrum. I'd say uh, we are something like a heritage of Cato in United States, but just much smaller. Well, because the country is smaller. So what we do is we we do policy analysis, we do policy promotion, we do education. And our latest sort of educational achievement is uh, four out of five kids now are learning economics from our textbook. And uh, that's a huge achievement, meaning that kids' teaching of compulsory, uh, teaching of economics is compulsory in ninth and 10th grade. So those kids are now learning from our textbook, meaning, uh, well, we pretty much captured all the teenage audience.
0: It's an incredible achievement. I mean, four out of five. I'm not sure. uh... I'm not sure if that will ever be achieved in the U.S., but to have a (laughs) classical liberal bent in your economics textbooks and reaching four to five children. uh, I mean, how did you guys go about doing that?
2: Well, we just wrote the book and we have an amazing uh, sort of teacher's material. So the teacher who we have a whole online teacher's textbook where he can prepare for each lesson. So things are explained to him uh we're using a lot of audio and video material from our colleagues but we dub them in lithuanian or we put subtitles on so we basically did a we actually did some excellent market research and we spent a lot of time and money on this but uh, the end product was uh i'm really satisfied with how well it's it's going and our newest initiative so in about uh, on march 13th uh, we're gonna have a national exam on economics uh, this is going to be huge, which is basically a whole, Europe, uh, a whole Lithuanian event and uh, we have universities on board, the universities are sort of preparing their, their questions for the exam, uh, the Minister of Education is sort of supporting us uh, and we have two largest media partners who are promoting this event, so it's going to be big.
1: That's actually really amazing to have this kind of uh, textbook in schools in Lithuania. In Brazil, I think it's quite the opposite. It's like, like in the US, and we still have a lot of socialist influence and even Marxist. I mean, we have a lot of school teachers, and especially in the universities, they're outright Marxists. It's really unbelievable. Now, I I wanted to to ask you perhaps the other way around. How are the socialist ideas now in Lithuania? What is the reception of the public in general to socialist ideas? Do they have an audience? Do they resonate? Yes.
2: Yes, unfortunately, they do. Uh, well, many people tend to think of Lithuania as, as some sort of quasi-libertarian paradise, but that's actually not the case. I'd say Lithuania is just as bad as all the other countries. Uh, maybe the one thing we have immunity against is the sort of old-school Marxist socialism. So you know, red flags and workers' parties, those are not that popular because people re- still remember Soviet Union. But if we're talking about this nouveau socialism or, you know, pink socialism or modern socialism, uh, people are very much on board. So I, I don't think we are an exception in, in any way. Maybe we have less hardcore Marxists or they maybe they're sort of well hidden, um, but it's not that much different from other countries. In the same time, I might be wrong about other countries. Maybe my opinion of other countries <laughs> or how things that there are is a little bit
1: skewed. Yeah, the, the thing is you have a more uh, track record, at least a first-hand experience to try to prove to your people, well, see see what happens when we try socialist ideas, at least almost 100% socialism, this is what happens. We don't have this first-hand experience in here, so we, we always rely on theory and how this socialist paradise can actually be implemented if we really try the true socialism. Well, just go to Venezuela.
2: I mean you have an excellent up-to-date example what happens when socialists start running their country so go to venezuela or go to cuba i mean and the thing with socialists is if whenever you argue that socialism doesn't work and whenever you give an example of soviet union uh there The retort is always, well, this wasn't socialism, you know, in true socialism, none of those bad things would happen and everything would, everyone would live happily ever after. It's impossible to win an argument with a socialist. I mean, it's impossible to win a rational argument with a socialist because we, because they always have their way out saying, well, this wasn't really a true socialism. So it's a kind of a pointless discussion.
1: And how has the, the free market, the Lithuanian Free Market Institute evolved as I say, it was established in 1990, so just when the, the, the Soviet Union was collapsing? Mm-hmm. How has it evolved in this almost 30 years?
2: I mean, it was started by students. Uh, one of the professors, uh, he was, he's a politician now, but he was a professor then. Uh, he went to United States uh, and the guys showed him all these think tanks uh, that United States have. So he came back and told his students, we should have something like that. And it actually, students banded together and it was a purely sort of voluntary initiative. It started from there. And it has grown, uh, well, bigger, larger, more professional oriented during uh, during the years. But uh, the good thing is the founder is still with us. She is still the chairman of the board, Elena, Elena Leontieva. And uh, the, the sort of the institute never lost its focus. We never stopped being liberals, or we never searched for a new kind of liberalism. So we always kept uh, the, 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 the guidance or the direction never changed. And I think we to, we had successes to varying, uh, varying degrees, uh, we had successes in, in Lithuania and still continuing to have them.
0: Yeah. And again, just to remind our uh, US listeners, liberal is uh, using the true sense there, classical liberal and uh, <laughs> just the way that they use it in Europe, which is so... So very refreshing uh, compared to hear people talk about you know libertarian movements and what in the U.S. I just that word is so niche and so uh, an unappealing word I think in U.S. politics as as Patrick Byrne on our prior podcast said you know they have they have literally hijacked the word liberal uh, in the U.S. But one more follow up to that question you know I actually remember a video I think it was from late '80s early '90s exactly the time frame you're speaking of when uh, these students and the founders of the institute were going over. I think I showed you this video. I think it was uh, you can see in the Mises Institute, Murray Rothbard is speaking about this you know group of Lithuanians and you know he's like, ah, you know they're coming over trying to get, learn some good economics and you know we showed it to him and everything and he's so excited <laughs> he 's so excited about spreading you know classical liberal thought into the former Soviet Union and it really is impressive to see that you guys have blossomed and grown in you know almost thirty years but It's interesting, I mean, is there anything, I know you sort of answered the question in reverse to Fernando's question about socialism, and I'm sure that there are plenty of people that don't resonate with these ideas in Lithuania, but, you know, I can compare it to Latvia and didn't have any movement like that. I mean, is there there anything else you can put your finger on, on the pulse to say why you are, uh, as a country, have been so, uh, had such an affinity to these sort of classical liberal ideas and why the institute has just remained so strong? over 30 years
2: <laughs> i don't think there isn't there is a genetic or any other reason uh, i think there is a definite cause and effect uh, some people did some things back in 90s and uh, well those ideas were successful. I mean, if you look at Lithuanian culture, if you look at sort of Lithuanian religion, I would say you guys, the Latvians, should be the more entrepreneurial types, considering we are Catholics and you guys are Protestant. Uh, I mean, we ha- you had Germans, we had Russians. So I think if, I mean, from our two countries, you, you are the ones who should be the leaders, but maybe at some point in the past, uh, it's uh, basically maybe this Lithuanian free market institute did actually play a part in shaping the psyche uh, or shaping the politics of, uh, of the country. I don't know actually. Either. If you look at our history, we like to joke around that if you, let's difficulty. If you look at our history, if you look at cultural history, entrepreneurship as such, or businesses as such, is a very foreign concept. I mean, if you look at, let's say, Lithuanian history, uh, Lithuanians were traditionally farmers, so you know, they, you know, f- dirt farmers. All the businessmen, entrepreneurs, or traders, uh, they were Jewish, Russian, Latvian, German, Danish, Polish, whatever, but not Lithuanians. So we have this very high sort of instinct of pastoralism or, you know, farming stuff farming versus entrepreneurship, or being a farmer versus being a businessman. Uh, so I'd say genetically we're probably uh, set, uh, we, do, we didn't really have such good starting positions, but, but hey.
0: But you do have this one, I, w- I want to ask you one more point on this uh, sort of the history uh, between Lithuania, Latvia, maybe other uh, Russian countries. Mm-hmm. You do have a festival which is extremely interesting, and I've been down to it a couple of times. The Feast of St. Casimir. what is it in Lithuanian? Kazukas. Kazukas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kazukas. Yes, that festival. I have to just tell our. If anybody's interested in traveling and coming to Eastern Europe during the winter. And it's coming up, I believe. Isn't it like in the last, the end days of winter or early days of spring?
2: Something like that. You seem to be much well, more informed about this thing than I am. Uh,
0: Well, okay. Well, then we don't have to, again, we don't have to get too uh, deep in the uh, philosophical history. Uh, But this festival, I have to say, it is like, it's an older, it's older than, you know, the United States. It's like some 500 year old festival. And I have never seen more like trade and arts and crafts and like gastronomy and like just doing all sorts of trading and it's like it's a market that literally takes over the entire city and it's an old it's an old uh fair so it's just one thing i was thinking when you were mentioning uh you may not have the history of some of these free market things uh maybe it's a little bit a little bit uh more subtle than you may realize but that's an interesting one
2: well maybe Maybe, I mean, but I mean, think what? Well, let's get awfully philosophical here. I mean, back in the day, markets is how people did things, markets is how people met, markets is how people exchanged cultures, news, and everything. So, I mean, ironically enough, back then, people realized that the market process is nothing else but people helping out other people, right? These days, uh, then of course all of our operations are more sophisticated. We stop seeing people behind businesses. We only see shiny buildings, we see computers, we see technology, but we forget that behind each product and behind each transaction that we have people. I mean that's why people love Uber so much. They say, well, it's people helping out people, and it's great, that's precisely correct. But it's the same in every business. So I mean if, yeah, if we wanted to get awfully philosophical, you could say, well, back in the day, people saw the essence of commerce, people saw the essence of trade, and maybe were more sympathetic to it, just precisely because of that. Because you could see the the person or the people behind the counter, behind the product, or behind the, the taxi, or whatever they had back
1: in the day.
0: And that, I think, is a perfect uh, segue into taking it more back into the, uh, the modern markets and what you guys are doing here. So I think Fernando uh, had a question there.
1: I wanted to to ask Juvenas, what is his day-to-day like there? So does he write for local newspapers? How do you, you how do you influence policy? You put on programs. Uh, if we compare the for our U.S. listeners, especially, they'll be familiar with this. We have the Cato Institute, which is more for influencing policy, and on the other hand, the Mises Institute, which is more for academic research and influencing ideas, but not public policy per se. Where does the Lithuanian Free Market Institute fit in?
2: Well, I can tell you what we do each day. So we have three main sort of tasks. One of the tasks is education, and I already told you that. So that's uh, you know, going to schools, publishing books and educating kids. That's one part. Second, two parts are policy. So one type of policy work that we do, we call defense or reactions, so basically we play defense. What it means is we have, a in our team, we have around seven analysts and we track the new proposed legislation. So basically we're tracking what new proposals just came in. Uh, we sort of filter them, whether they are good or bad. Well, meaning, you know, whether it's more taxation or less taxation, whether it's more power to the people or more restrictions. And then we decide what to do with these types of proposals. So what we do usually is we try to, well, we try to make sure they don't come. The, we, we're trying to make sure that the bill does not become a law. Mm-hmm. So we either we write analysis why you shouldn't, let's say, increase taxation. We send it to the parliament. We send it to the government. We go to the parliament. We go to the government. The government. We argue against that. Uh, if that is not sufficient, uh, we do media campaigns or at least media outreach. So we would write an article saying, well, you know. The government just proposed increase in taxation and it's a bad idea and this is why this is why this is a bad idea. So we do that type of work and we call it defense or playing defense. And then of course we have offense. And offense is either we do policy proposals. So let's say our newest fun policy proposal was, a law was just passed that uh, May the 11th from now on in Lithuania is officially called the uh, Respect for Taxpayers Day actually. So we wrote a bill, we got it through a Parliament, so now March, uh, May 11th is officially uh, the day in which in all the calendars it will be marked that this is the Respect for Taxpayers Day. But this is sort of a more fun project. Uh, Other things that we do is either we do policy proposals, so we're saying, let's say, reduce taxation or get rid of this tax or something like that, or we do projects or research which leads to policy proposals. So, for instance, one interesting research that we do is um, we rank all the cities in Lithuania. It's kind of like World Bank doing business uh, ranking, but applied not to countries, but to cities. So we do that. Uh, We publish that uh, report. Uh, The media loves it. Uh, The mayors are all very interested because everyone wants to be number one. Uh, And from that research, we then do proposals, let's say, for each city what should they do in order to increase their ranking? So it's usually, you know, deal with uh, construction permits faster, reduce the real estate tax, uh, uh, get your finances in order and things like that. So these are the three things that we do. So we're definitely more policy oriented, uh, but of course we, and uh, we don't do academics that much. Instead, we focus on education. <laughs>
0: This episode of Crypto Voices is brought to you by Hoddle Hoddle, the cryptocurrency peer to peer exchange that does not hold your funds. On Hoddle Hoddle, all trades happen directly between buyers and sellers of both Bitcoin and Litecoin out of or into any fiat currency of your choice, no middleman involved. Each time there's a trade, a contract is created between the buyer and seller where the exchange generates a unique multi-sig escrow address into which the crypto seller safely deposits the funds until all steps of the trade conclude. Huddle itself does not touch the funds nor have its own wallet interacting with your trade. HODLHODL is a cheap, fast, effective way to sell some fiat paper tickets and buy some sound crypto. And until July 2018, you'll be pleasantly greeted with 0% commissions and SegWit support. The exchange requires no verification and is truly global. So wherever you are, go to HODLHODL.com today, get some Bitcoin, get some Litecoin, and we wish the team at HODLHODL all the best and thank them for their support of crypto voices.
1: Yes, I mean, in, in all, this, all this work trying to influence public policy and trying to influence public opinion, what do you find is the most effective way of doing that? Right. So now we have the, we have the traditional media, we have social media, we have even outright rallies on the streets, protesting the streets. What do you find is the most effective way nowadays to do this, to influence public opinion and then public policy?
2: Okay, well, I think that the, the simplest, the easiest, and the only way for us to influence people is to persuade them that we are right. Uh, there is no other way around it. I do not believe in techniques or gimmicks. Sure, those can be helpful, uh, but I think if you cannot explain to people why low tax is good for them, if you cannot explain to people why, let's say, respect for property rights is first and foremost, most useful to the everyday ordinary people, well, I think you have lost the battle. So I think the only way that what we as free marketeers or as independent think tankers have, the only thing we can do is actually sit down with people and explain and explain and explain and be persuasive. I mean, be correct, be right, and be persuasive. Uh, I mean, most people have more important things than to worry about what side of political spectrum they are. So we have to sort of show to them that these ideas that we stand for are actually relevant to them and relevant to their everyday work because they are. So that would be sort of my advice of how to do public policy.
1: And how was, uh, uh, now speaking about public policy and one uh, example we had, how was your stance, the, f- the free market institute stance on the euro and how was the public debate and how did you influence uh, this the, the public debate around the introduction of the euro? Uh,
2: we didn't. So the euro, uh, so first and foremost institute had a big work and. Big work done in monetary policy back in 1993, back in 1994. Uh, then actually the institute int- proposed and introduced the so-called currency board. So we set, a, we pegged our currency to the dollar in 1994, and then we repegged it to euro. So our idea was prevent local government from printing money. This was pretty much the idea. Uh, so with the euro. Uh, Somewhat, of course, Euro isn't perfect, and it's a fiat paper currency. In the same time, well, Lithuanian government cannot print the Euros. So we were sort of lukewarm about the Euro, uh, but uh, so we pretty much did not participate in the debate, uh, because in that debate, there was no niche for us to say our point. So yes, sure, I mean, we would participate in debates, we would express our opinion, but the only two options you had was either, you know, let's have a euro or let's reject the euro and have our own independent uh, uh, Lithuanian monetary policy. And the question sort of boiled down to uh, which central bank do I distrust more? Do I distrust uh, European Central Bank more or do I distrust the Lithuanian Central Bank more? So basically you know, which, the lesser of two evils. And I think euro was the lesser of two evils.
0: Yeah, and I think um you know we can start to steer this now in the direction of uh, of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, but um, maybe a, a bit more on on how that works. You know we we had the same thing in Latvia. Latvians joined one or two years before Lithuania. The EMU, the European Monetary uh, Union, and uh, now there's some 19 countries, and basically yeah, a lot of. It was sort of a track that was set up, a lot of Eastern European nations that joined uh, the EU specifically in 2004, there was a big group of them, they basically had to join the Euro at some point. And that track is sort of set up and that means that essentially the local governments have outsourced their monetary policy to Frankfurt. So my, my general question then would be what what is your opinion of, the monetary regulators now in Lithuania. I, I think in Latvia, it's it's very they're very conservative, much more conservative than maybe at least what I can tell in like Estonia, where they're trying to digitize everything and they're being very blockchain friendly. It seems to me in Lithuania, I've had limited, you know, I have friends at Bank of Latvia. I've had sort of indirect contact with the Bank of Lithuania via a fintech investment that uh, we made a couple years ago. But um, they seem to be very conservative. They seem to be very cautious. And if you talk about regulation of something such as Bitcoin, I mean, they've mostly been, from the, the opinions and statements I've read, it seems that they're very hands-off. They don't want to really take a risk or rock the boat. Is that your sense, or do you get a different sense on what the regulators are doing?
2: We don't work with them as much, to be honest. And I think the sort of the recurring joke is, and we probably could apply the same joke to Latvia, is why do we need a central bank anymore? I mean, if our monetary policy as you rightly put, is outsourced to Frankfurt. I think I trust bankers in Frankfurt more than I trust bankers in Lithuania. So, monetary policy, nothing to do there. And in terms of uh, financial supervision, well, the biggest banks are now directly supervised by the European Central Bank. Uh, so, I think I think Lithuania, I mean, your, your Latvian bank, our Lithuanian bank, they are somewhat experienced a crisis of a genre. I mean, someone could come and say, well, why do we need you guys anymore? So I think to an extent, but just to an extent, I think to an extent they're trying to find uh, new niches of work, to be to be honest. But I do not know their official stance on cryptocurrencies in Lithuania.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, and mine is sort of, it's high level as well. It's mostly just, um, you know, some things I've been reading the past couple of years. They were very down on it. I think they first mentioned it, something like 2014 and, and then they sort of along when when the EU made some positive statements in like twenty sixteen, they came back to well, the underlying technology, blockchain technology, as many said, it, it could be important. But now, especially in light of all these ICOs and the the mania there, they've been sort of down on it again and recommending that banks close accounts that have shady merchants or people that are flogging ICOs that may not know what they're doing. But uh, I guess it just it goes to the the next part of our discussion, which I wanted to focus on, which is is Bitcoin and crypto. So you guys cover so many topics about, you know, from taxes to subsidies and cutting red tape for businesses. Have you started to uh, approach cryptocurrency in any sort of structured way yet, or are you uh, are you still sort of sort of looking at it? What is the Free Market Institute's opinion on on Bitcoin?
2: Well, our underlying fundamental position is that we like competition between currencies, whether you're talking competition between traditional currencies or any other source of currencies. So for us, there is no need to make a special stance or anything like that. There is another currency on the block. (laughs) You could actually make a pun of it. New kids on the block, new kids on the blockchain. You should do that. Yeah. And people people are willingly accepting it and using it. So great. We have competition in, in currencies now. So this we don't have an official position because our official position hasn't changed. And actually I like Bitcoin in a sense uh, because not so I think that the great value of Bitcoin, besides exchange value and all that, is that it actually starts people thinking of what currency is. Because now prior to Bitcoin, many people would say, Well, private currencies are impossible impossible because ABC. And now we have a perfect example how private or non-state actors can actually issue currencies uh, which are well accepted, traded, increase in value, and uh, probably more people trust in them than they do in traditional currencies. So I like Bitcoin because it's an excellent teaching aid to show people what currencies really are. And um, many, many people say, well, isn't you know, they say, isn't it strange that so many people uh, trust Bitcoin, this thing? And my retort to that is, well, isn't it so strange that so many people trust paper money? Because that's exactly the same thing. So I like Bitcoin because it is a competition of currencies and it shows to people that sort of free market solutions are possible.
1: And What is the general opinion in the government or regulators in Lithuania regarding cryptocurrencies or blockchain? Well, I think that those are two separate questions. blockchain as technology,
2: let's say blockchain to be used in bureaucratic processes or blockchain for licensing and things like that, basically adopting that technology for everyday government use, I think they are, well, they do seem sympathetic or at least, or maybe they don't understand what it is yet, but they are not so much against that. as an investment vehicle, I think, well, different economists have uh, have different opinions, and that's uh, quite understandable. Uh, well, I think people who do investing, uh, you know, freedom comes with responsibility. So, of course, it's a high volatility asset, and we should not be under an illusion that uh, monies grow on trees. Well, because if it did grow on trees, they would be pretty much worthless, unless the number of trees was limited. So, uh, so I actually don't know what the official stance of the government is, uh, but in terms of adopting maybe adopting a technology uh, for for everyday government work, uh, I think there would be some people who would actually support that.
1: And I was reading recently that there is a new newly established blockchain institute in Lithuania for the influence of business and you know political opinion. What is your take on this?
2: Good. Uh, yeah, I think I know that. Guys, that didn't go to the uh, didn't go to the event. Uh, but great! I mean, this is uh, that this thing is in fashion now. This thing is in vogue, and if something good can come out of this, uh, sure, why not?
0: All right. Well, uh, what about for the institute itself? I mean, are you guys just gonna try to take a hands-off approach as we move forward, and just sort of see what happens? You know, are you are you looking to try to give any uh, any lectures on the topic, or write about blockchain and Bitcoin as it can influence uh, the Lithuanian economy?
2: Not really. Since uh, we don't specialize in that, we don't have expertise in that. However, if some compre- comprehensive plans came through to, let's say, ban Bitcoin or uh, restrict its usage, then I think we'd get into the game. Uh, right now, there is nothing really much to write about. And there are way more smarter people to explain Bitcoin than I am. And I think, Matthew, you're doing a great job on that.
1: Yeah, it was uh, about all this the, the price movement we had last year, and was all I think it was all over the world in, in the U.S., in Europe, in Brazil, and many economists uh, screaming out, "It's a bubble! It's a bubble! It's gonna burst!" It's a, it's euphoria! It's a mania! Did you also have this kind of of uh, of trading and euphoria in Lithuania regarding cryptocurrencies last year?
2: Oh yeah, I think I all this is informal, so. Uh, but yeah, people who I think barely understand economics, they were very excited about Bitcoin. And at, at, at some point I got a little bit scared because to me it started to, it started to appear that some people are in this illusion that uh, the only way for Bitcoin to go is up or any way, f- or any way for any currency to go is up. And that might happen. Uh, I mean, appreciation of Bitcoin is not unheard of, or appreciation of commodities or stocks is not unheard of. But I think, uh, well, I would advise to fundamentally think about uh, what it is. I mean, assets cannot go up forever uh, unless there are some fundamental uh, some fundamental reasons for it. Uh, so I, th- I think that I would sort of get, get scared or concerned uh, yeah, then, then people with low incomes start uh, leveraging very high uh, uh, or start living under the illusion that this is just a money-making machine. I mean, even if it were a money-making machine, money would become worthless. So my sort of advice to people would be, you know, treat it as just any other sort of investment. It might be profitable and to many people it is, but you know, just, just because it's cryptocurrency or just because it's called cryptocurrency uh, doesn't mean that you're going to become a billionaire overnight. And anyone, I think, who has these sort of ideas should, well, reconsider.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, um, it's always interesting, I think, to just pick people's brains in different markets because, uh, you know, myself, I read a lot of. US centric news on cryptocurrency and blockchain and uh, it is a worldwide thing and people do start to make bad decisions when they see uh, you know bubbles and asset prices I had a friend you know in in rural Latvia you know saying that they were talking about it over Christmas you know this is like you know deep countryside the edge of the European Union border of Russia and that's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself it's just th- this is sort of a new world of digital assets that are completely borderless it is true that it's largely unregulated and People can see some speculative activity and think that they can, you know, get rich quick. And, and I think the worst thing that you can do is try to lever up or take a loan or or mortgage, you know, half your house or something to try to uh, to buy more of it on the uh, on the off chance that it might go up. So I say that all the time. Like it's it's more about the adoption of this thing over the long term that's important. It's about the technology. It's not, you know, you should not be looking at the price chart of Bitcoin or Ether or any of these other cryptocurrencies. You know, if you want to. If you want to remodel your kitchen or take a vacation you know that's just that's the wrong mm-hmm. that's the wrong way to look at it we need to look at this as like a truly fundamental you know game changing technology that certainly is in a very risky phase of its development but has the potential truly to be you know 100% globally adopted that's usually what I tell people when, when you hear sort of... Yeah,
2: I, I'm, fine. I'm fine with the fact that it's not regulated. I, I mean, I don't think regulation brings in any order. So I think I'm fine with the fact that it's not regulated. But what sort of bothers me from a sort of personal level is that some people think that because Bitcoin is, quote, mined or that, you know, be, just because electricity is used to, quote, produce it, it has some inherent fundamental value. And I think once again, this is an excellent way to talk about to people what the value of products are. But some of them are under the illusion that real money is spent in order to obtain Bitcoin, that that's the source of its value, which in my opinion is fundamentally untrue. But some people, whenever I talk to them and say, well, this is just an investment thing, and think about it, they say, well, how can it be? Because, you know, Bitcoin solves these algorithms, and you use electricity. Therefore, it must be real. So that's the kind of thing that bothers me.
0: I would say the same. I mean, it's uh, it's not. If you mention something like regulation or lack of regulation, it's just that's sort of a a typical uh, thing that people throw out. It doesn't bother me either that it's not there. It's just the fundamental understanding of where it where it comes from and the value that it brings. It's just like anything else in the market. It's completely, completely subjective. The mining and the electricity spent. The only purpose of that is you know to prevent the double spend. It's to prevent Precisely. bits of Bitcoin from being copied. But once you get past that point, the whole, you know, the system itself, everything it's built on, the people that adopt it and use it, merchants that they use it, consumers if they want to hold it, it's just like any other product on the market. It's completely subjective. Mining and, and hash rate and security of the network is certainly uh, it's related to the value, but it, it has once you get past the point of you've solved a database that can't be double spent, you're in a whole different world of, of valuation and it just comes back into everything else in the market. It's subjective and it's what some users may see some value in it, some may not. And as we just talked about on the show, you know, I mean, people that aren't in Venezuela or some developing countries, they have a hard time seeing some of the value that Bitcoin can bring. So those are the sorts of messages I think. Like you said, you just need to keep persuading people. You need to keep, keep telling them. And then I think you know, the rest will fall into place. It doesn't have to be as much mm-hmm. about you know, even public policy influence or anything anymore. It's just, it's a, it's a different, it's a completely different system anyway.
2: The value, yeah, the value of the exchange value, the, 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 the sort of the instrumental value that you can have this thing and two people in different countries with different legal regimes can trade in their produce and use Bitcoin. Well, that is absolutely amazing. I mean, this is a great, great achievement, uh, which I think sometimes is overlooked than we think about Bitcoin, because everyone is concerned about how much it costs and how much to mine it. Yeah. So I think that the true value of Bitcoin, it actually showed to people that independent currency is possible. So actually, maybe I'm even a little sad that all these speculative issues are now being in the center of this technology rather than the technology itself. I go back
0: to. Rick Rule, he's a uh, commodity investor, I really uh, enjoy reading some of his work. He's worked with Doug Casey and uh, Eric Sprott and these guys in North America, big resource investors, very cyclical markets. And uh, he made a, a great statement, which I think applies very much to cryptocurrency these days. He said, no matter how much you think that the government can print paper money, can print paper tickets, the free market can always do it better. <laughs> that might confuse people that won't know where he's going there. What he's talking about is penny stocks and, and corporate bonds that are worth nothing and a lot of a lot of the riffraff that you do see in the public markets and certainly in his business, you know, in these exploration mining stocks, it's just a ton of paper that's printed that literally has no value, but you know, some people can flog it. So it will be in cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. I mean, BitConnect, a lot of these scams that are coming out. And many, many, many more. It's just you know the free market is always better at printing uh, <laughs> than the government, no matter if, <laughs> if you want to admit that fact or not. So, uh, so it's gonna take it's gonna take some time, in my
2: opinion. Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, Gilvin, this, uh, I think we can probably wrap it up. Do you have do you have anything to say about you know the next steps uh, that you guys are taking in the F- Lithuanian Free Market Institute? What you guys are uh, trying to do, say for 2018?
2: Uh, yeah, I pretty much told you about our plan. So yeah, we we our newest. We are working with the uh, Respect for Taxpayers Day and the uh, National Exam on Economics. Well, these are the two uh, two big things on the publicity side. Uh, other our other project is uh, we're trying to put in legal roadblocks for uh, government-owned businesses to expand. But that's probably a whole you know topic for for another podcast but i mean what i see a tendency i see is that government owned companies actually going on expansion uh well just because we have a lot of money and very favorable regulation um so we're trying to put in uh, legal roadblocks that would sort of prevent them from expanding too fast or even taking over some uh, some sectors of, of economy because that in my opinion is just going back uh to what we used to have back in the soviet days you know means of if then means of production belong to the government uh was well, pretty much returned to the socialist or central planned society regardless of uh what you have in the country's name so we're doing that i think this whole bitcoin or cryptocurrencies is uh it's an excellent exercise in free markets it's an excellent exercise in thinking and in terms of Expanding or broadening the horizons, it kind of reminds me of the days, and sometimes in the old textbooks, you would, in old economics textbooks, you would see that you know telephone markets are a natural monopoly because you have wires, and no fool would put two wires one next to each other. And then all of a sudden, let's say, cell phones appeared and they completely shattered that paradigm and no one refers to to telephone markets as a natural monopoly anymore. So the same with money. I mean, if you look at old textbooks, maybe some thinking of people, they say, well, of course, money is an exclusive monopoly of the government, Well, because that's very profitable. Uh, that's the best business, printing money is the best business hands down, but then Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies come and they actually show that even at this, that used to be a, like a, the, the domain of governments, uh, free markets come up with solutions, which are frankly better. So I think this is the great sort of success of Bitcoin and all, all of the cryptocurrencies is demonstration that, well, well, yes, we can. Yes, as free marketeers, we can produce even better money than the government can
0: couldn't agree more. So let's uh, let's leave it there. Jovinas uh, for our listeners who want to know more about you, the most influential political opinion thought leader in Lithuania. Maybe not the most popular Instagrammer. I'm sure our listeners are looking up the other <laughs> those other girls now but <laughs> just kidding buddy. For our uh, for our listeners who want to know more about you, Lithuanian Free Market Institute, where uh, where can they find you?
2: Oh, I'll just go to our website. It's uh, it's freema.org like freema like Freemasons a free market dot uh, org or just Google Lithuania free Market Institute well, actually we made it to New York Times yesterday uh, it's, There's an article in New York Times and me commenting about the current uh, actions of a government regarding regulation of uh, beverages in Lithuania.
0: I saw that that's uh I'm not sure I want to completely go into that analysis, but it's pretty fascinating. Why don't you just throw it out there? Because it's a whole different—that's a whole different paradigm from cryptocurrency. But it's that's a pretty draconian law that was passed in Lithuania, as I understand it.
2: Oh yeah, so the, there is a complete and total ban of all the of all the ads of alcoholic beverages. So actually, it has it has come to this that now, if let's say, if you are subscribing to a, a foreign magazine, uh, let's say, an Economist or or GQ or whatever kids read these days and it's shipped to you from, let's say, UK. Uh, So the distributor actually tears out the pages that has uh, ads of alcoholic beverages or puts stickers over them. So this is beyond medieval. Uh, This is absolutely absurd, but this is the type of regulation that we currently have. So like I said, this is no free market paradise as much as I want it to be.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to to end it. uh, You guys have made great inroads in certain places but you see you see a, a policy like that that gets passed and it seems very strange so uh there's no there's no uh anarcho-capitalist paradise anywhere it seems but uh Giovinas, definitely wish you guys all the best in what you're doing thanks for coming on and uh chatting with us and uh hope to talk to you soon
2: thank you very much juveniles Right, thank you matthew thank you fernando talk to you guys soon bye-bye